So this is the final part of our interview with Bob Maynard. If you haven't listened to the first two parts, stop right now and go back and listen to them. You won't be sorry, and some of what follows in part three will make a lot more sense. We continue in this episode to refer to Bob's PowerPoint presentation, and it's available on our website attached to this episode. So here it is, part three of our interview with Bob. Time for this? Heck yeah. Okay. I put this together because this this is what we found in aviation. I thought this was very, it shocked the crap out of us, I'll tell you. And that was when we looked at accidents, um, you can see under 500 hours, the accident rate is, you know, fairly high. But, but that's normal because the guys don't know what they're doing. They're inexperienced, et cetera. What was shocking was that from 500 to 1,500 hours, the accident rate actually went up. And then once you get to 1,500 hours, it goes down dramatically. And then the 3,000 is, is an anomaly there, and I won't get into why that is that. But at any rate, I, I called Shane and just got some numbers, and this may or may not apply at all to it, what you guys do. What he told me in a high-volume department was um, – 121 shifts a year with about seven and a half hours of active time. That's really running a call. Um, subtract eight minutes for response time. Gives you about five and a half hours of actually being on the on the scene. And so that amounts to 272 shifts to reach 1,500 hours. So somewhere between 500 hours and 1,500 hours equivalency would be about 10 months to two and a half years. Now, I don't know if that applies to the firefighting business or not, but... Guys get cocky after they've been there just a little while, but not long enough to know what they're really not supposed to do. I thought this was great, and it's made me think quickly that we're probably not quite granular enough on some of our incidents. Um, And because the incidences are all over the place, and you're talking about a crew, so if a firefighter gets hurt or if a driver wrecks a truck or if a captain makes a bad decision or whatever, they can be kind of subdivided in each one. But it is very interesting to think about that 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 10 months to two years that may that may come up into play for a driver right but and hear me out like if they wreck something or if they have an accident we could probably look at that to see because that's something i realize we don't get in the weeds enough on we look to see when the accident happened maybe time of day the environment sure rain weather whatever but i don't know that we ever stopped and said what was the experience level of the individual we probably talked about it but i don't know that we clearly documented it and and travel see if there's a trend see if there's a trend um for firefighters and you talk about injuries or whatever they may do they're not operating independently you know what I mean? Like not right. usually operating independently. So I don't know how this translates, but from to me, from a driver position or from an officer position who's making decisions, I think there might be something yeah. interesting to look at. In I don't there. know what that time frame would be, but it, it might be similar that there's a, a definite sweet spot where things are going bad just because, like what you said, you get comfortable. You start, and we've talked about, Shane, you and I have talked about at work, how long does it take in a position to get to where you, and I'm talking about like, I'm going off of recent memory, so I'm talking about upper level, but how long does it take to get comfortable in the, in the position? And it's for me, it's about 18 months before I'm really yeah, starting to feel that I know what I'm doing. Think way back, Hatch, so long back. How long did it take you to feel comfortable being a battalion chief? Like how, like where you were like, 
Okay, I feel pretty comfortable in my skin. Probably two and a half years, probably. That's what I, I think I was probably closer to two really? in that position. You and I talked about 18 months. Well, you're, you're much smarter than me, so you get there faster. <laughs> in the first year, I was a chief. Oh, I was shit. also chair in MAFC, so I was a terrible. I was actually terrible at both of them. But no, that's, that's that true. was your first year <laughs> yeah. of being a battalion chief? I don't think yeah. I realized you had a lot going on. Yeah, I did. And Holy I, crap. Yeah, and I was like, somebody asked me that one day, and they are like, how'd you do that? And I'm like, I sucked at both of them. That's how I did it. <laughs> you had good that. help. I did have very good help. <laughs> Just think about how worse it that could have been. That not the other part. <laughs> Do what? Think about how worse it could have been. Yeah, but I mean, and again, it's about being humble and being open up to, you know, a learning or growth mentality mindset of like always constantly want to learn. You know, he's right. When, once you get to that level where they start feeling that comfort, then they start going, well, I don't, I don't need to go to the next class or I, I know how to do that. And that's where I, I was like that whole ride along thing. And I really got it from working in Roswell is you would go work with the guys and guys maybe even not as busy as you in that aspect. You know, maybe they ran less calls than you, but they did training differently or they track training or there was always something to learn. And I just love that about it. You know, yeah. I, was, I always love those different perspectives. And so many people, I think they get so um, siloed of like, oh, my department runs more than everybody else or it runs more than anybody in the state. So I've got this figured out. No, we'll never have this figured out. Right. There's always a new yeah. you know, way to. Yeah, it. volume that I think you and I talked about this. You could do it a hundred times wrong. Did you really learn anything from it? Right. And that's the thing too, you know, slower departments, you know, so I, I would, uh, I say this as uh, at bats, you know, the more at bats you have, you, you're getting to the experience level even faster. And then, so then it becomes years versus at bats. So if you've been in slower companies and you're 10 years in, but you still don't feel that comfort level, because you haven't had as many at bats as a guy who's been two years in and tons of tons of uh, calls, you know what I mean, to be able to make those decisions. And so, it, it, even within a same department, it can be very uh, isolating of how that works out. You have to be willing to, you know, go to those and get outside your comfort zone Man. to grow. And I'll end on what that. Are you thinking? <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, we talk about as in terms of years is typically what we do years of experience. Mm -hmm. But the reality of it is, and I was talking to Bob about this, you could be at a, uh, a slower station and your two years don't equal right. two years at the busiest right. station. Right. So it would be interesting to change the, the metric per se in that and lean more towards active time and response mode. And the crew no, could fill that out. You could you could very easily, well, I shouldn't say easily, but the data is there, at least in our department, to pull that back and right. say this individual was on this type of call for, for this, this amount, this total, amount of time yeah, over total, this. I mean, that is we're in we're we're in the weeds on this, but whoa, yeah. Now you're starting to really peel potentially, yeah. And the reason is, is, is there some breakover that you see based on number of, we'll just call it total minutes for right, right. now. Is there some breakover you see in total min minutes of experience where you start saying, okay, I start seeing better decisions right. at this point. Or is that so and woven into someone's DNA? I feel like we have to say this every time we start to talk about data because some of our listeners might not respond well to that. But data does not make decisions for you. No. It informs the decisions. So we're not talking about being slaves to data and all that. Yeah, you can all right. Hatch, pound the table. Roy over here. Go ahead, Roy. But no, no. I, <laughs> does anybody know who Roy is? But uh, Bob, in, in flying, 
does anybody ever say I've been flying for this many years or is it always the hours? I've got this many hours and in, in it, this it, type of aircraft. It's both, but it's primarily the hours. But w- speaking of data, we collect data in the aviation industry, you know, yeah. a lot. And it's, it's done four ways. There's the direct method. Okay. We put actually check airmen in the seat, uh, you know, in the jump seat to watch people fly normal line operations. And it's a non-Jeopardy event. You know, nobody's going to get, you know, pay cut or anything for it. But it's documented. You know, you did this and you did, you know, you took off without your alternate weather uh, forecast. They should have had it there, but they were late, et cetera, et cetera. So we use check airmen for direct observation, just for sampling flights of what it looks like, how this operation is going. And then we have indirect, which is electronic. And I know uh, one of the airlines, which I won't mention, found out they had a major problem with flap over speeds where, you, you know, you can only put the flaps down to 10 degrees once you're below 200 knots, okay? And these guys were constantly, because they were being jammed into these high-volume airports, putting them down at 210 or 220, and it was bending the metal and ruining the rollers and all sorts of stuff. Well, the only way to really catch that was by the flight data recorder. Mm-hmm. to know when they actually put the flaps down. So we use a lot of that. Then, of course, we use accident data to c- collect data. And then uh, one of the most important things now is a non-Jeopardy self-reporting events. All right. Hey, we went out. We did this. You know, I, I pulled the hose out, but the guys at the station forgot to actually connect the other end, so it wasn't connected. For that, that's our close calls and creating an environment yeah. where you can say that was yeah. a close call without some punitive yeah. impact. So those are the way we collect data, and it is valuable, but I agree with you 100% hatchet. Data should not be the be-all, end-all of how right. we do business. It, no, I agree 100%. No, don't There's put this, your hands that's about up. To say, you like, didn't hatch win. Is the only one. Yeah, I'll find hatch didn't listening win to me. shit. That's I've agreed with you. No, no, I agree no, with that, too. And I want to say, because I, I agree 100% <laughs> what you're saying. Data is not the end-all, be-all, because, and I'm support Hatch on this. I'm stealing it from Hatch. It's Data is driven by human. Right. By humans, the human natures and right. human factors, whatever the case may be. So you, you have to be careful with data. Yeah, you do. But you can't totally ignore data. No, no, no. no. You can't. And I don't want that do either. And, and I want to ask Bob, who's been in the airline industry for years, was there ever a time with coworkers or other members as you're going up where you just heard them say, I'm sick and tired, Why data, 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 and always about the damn data, Bob. <laughs> Because oh, sure. I hear it all the time. Oh, sure. I'm sure you They do. just get pissed off. You even mentioned the D word, and it is on. Well, there was a big flap with the uh, union, the pilot's union, when they started putting in, or using, I should say, flight data recorders for, you know, normal data. Okay, in other words, they didn't wait to pull the black box out of a, you know, a smoking hole here and, and record, the, you know, and take a look at things. They were actually tell them, uh, you know, uh, transmitting it back to the maintenance uh, folks mm-hmm. and collecting the data. This is this, this, this is what you do. Well, I what, don't. You do won it an anymore. award. Yeah, it, well, you won an award. Shut up. <laughs> do what? I, I hated that award. He won an award <laughs> for collecting the data. No, well, so their trucks had automation of the data. So yeah. our our trucks had cameras in them and microphones, and so they all this information would come out and. Uh, so every time there's some kind of violation, safety violation, I'd have to go coach the driver. Okay. Uh, you'd like have you, to analyze it first and 
Yeah, yeah, I'd right. have to watch it. And I'd always let them watch it with me. I'm like, it, you know, I'm not there. To explain to me what just happened there, bro. Because right. there was, may be something out of camera view or it's whatever. It's triggered by, like, stresses on the truck, like G-forces. Right. Yeah, because nobody stop, ever bumps. drives emergency where they don't brake hard or accelerate hard or turn hard. That's what that's what activates the, the system to start recording. Right? Except for the system wasn't made for emergency vehicles. We just tried to adapt it to that. So we were having to go out all the time. And so I was having to have these conversations all the time when we were a very punitive department or I, I was with a punitive department. I'm with no department now. So, and I hated it. I hated yeah. the, the, the whole program. And literally I'm at the conference for this safe dri driver thing. The owner of the company is like, how do you like it? And I'm like, I hate the, I hate it. And he's like, what do you mean? And he, I said, same Aren't thing. Aren't you getting an award? Yeah. Yeah. He said, uh, <laughs> I said, it makes our drivers drive worse. And he said, how is that? And I said, okay, let me explain this to you. I said, so if we're going to on a call and a red light's coming up, I said, is it, safer to stop at the red line or to go through it? And he said, it's safer to stop. And I said, all right, so, so stop. We have to brake super hard. It's going to set the camera off and there's a possibility they're going to get talked to, or they can just go through it. And if they, they survive never, it, you never know about it. And yeah. they never get talked to. I yeah. said, you're creating a culture where they're actually driving worse. Deep survival. Yeah. It's deep survival with the, um, and so like my sponsor for the department was behind the, the owner. He was like shaking his head. He's like, please stop talking. Please stop talking. <laughs> of course they didn't invite me back ever again, <laughs> but that was my whole point is I get you trying to get the data. I get what you're trying to do here, but the way you're doing it is making it actually worse. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I could see that when you're the collection of data does alter potentially alter behavior. Sure. Dependent, especially if it's punitive in any way. Well, and, that, and the company actually said they didn't want it to be punitive. Only for training was the reason. But, but it was my department's idea. Like, well, they're breaking some rules. The, we're going to go ahead and punish them. And then the guys thing? were yeah, observing that, something. That's terrible changes idea. It. What's that? There's a whole thing. Uh, what is it? Observing something changes the thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quantum uh, mechanics. But is it like the... Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't think we Heisenberg's were going there. Per, um, Theory of him. But anyway. just the act of watching something exactly. changes the thing. Exactly. Changes the, the thing, changes the behavior. Any of it. I mean, it's, you know, but yes, changes the behavior in this case. Yeah, you know, Heisenberg's uncertainty that, principle. There you go. Knowing that they're being watched. Am I on the is, same podcast? No, you and I just, we went to another dimension. <laughs> oh, actually, I had to take that back. They went to another dimension. Yeah, yeah, we're, still here. we're still here. <laughs> wow. Interesting. No, but watching the thing is changing the behavior. And so, Bob, what you're talking about is something that records the data from the airplane all the time, not just during Correct. stressful events. Correct. That might be the the better See, option. That's, which we trucks. have that too. That's why yeah. having the Czech airman on the jump seat was never catching anybody putting the flaps down in an overspeed condition. But the data did. Right? Uh, the electronic data. That's did. the old, uh, the, what was the, uh, the management, walking around or wandering around where you, yeah. if the manager's there, you're going to behave differently. Right, right, right. Of course. Which goes back to, you know, you want people to do the right thing whether anybody's looking or not. You got to, you got to impose that on them. Which is what we typically define integrity as, right? Yeah. Yeah. And everybody says, I want to be, I want to have integrity. Every resume that I see come across my desk says something about having integrity. Well, uh, you know, our core values were uh, honesty and integrity. I'm like, can you have one without the other? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of, I kind of leaked. One last thing: Do you guys debrief after all of these calls? All, all of them? How do you? How are you defining all? Well, I mean, what do you mean? Yeah, I, mean yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say all of them, but well, some have formal after-action reviews that yeah. are yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually, it's the ones that go bad, depending yeah, on how how bad the call was. 
But we should really do the positive ones as well. Well, I was going to say. Well, no, no, we, it, that's happening at the, at the company level. You but think? The, Even on scene, if we're going to talk, let's, let's define it to just like working incidents where we had multiple alarm, okay. multiple units, whether it was entrapments or fire right. or whatever. Typically, there's some hot wash that happens on all of them. Okay. Um, some in, yeah. incident after some action. Informal quick, discussion. Yeah. If yeah. something went bad, typically, if there was like some learning moment needed to come out of it, then it would be more of a formal after action review. Which okay. And is if much it's even worse than that, you get into an investigation. Or a line of duty death yeah. with where NIOSH would be involved and they get super deep into yeah. into those. Okay. Well, I mean, we do, we debrief after every flight in the companies that I've flown with. So, you know, what did we do wrong? What could we have done better? Uh, how'd things work out? What did we do right? You know, what things really work that we don't normally do, but we had to do it this time and it was by procedure, but, it, and it really helped us out. Um, and so that gives feedback to the training department. It gives feedback to the instructors. So, you know, Hey, I got out on this, uh, particular mission and there was a piece of equipment on the truck that I didn't really know what it was, or, you know, Johnny Jones didn't know what it was and we better put that in the training program. So all of those things I think help. It should be a non, um, confrontational kind of thing. Uh, but does it, I mean, does it lose its meaning if you're doing it all the time? Cause some people are going to say, I think if you can capture some important things on it, um, if it gives people a chance to say, Hey, I made a mistake. And right. here's what I did, and here's what I would do differently. And demonstrate that it's safe to do it. It's safe to do it. That, that That's the problem I had in my department. If anybody admitted a mistake, it was they were immediately well, going to yeah, get punished for it. And so nobody would. And right, so even ones that went positively, people didn't want to. They're like, you went out. I don't know why you care. I'm like, we can always get better. Yeah, I, I think about your doing. department, and I'm not going to mention any of that as I, far I as the that. event, but it, it, it is it, it, it's bad. Like when you can't do that hot wash, that honest hot wash, because now someone's gotten their uh, ego ego stamped on a little bit, yeah. and now they're going to act on that. Uh, that's just uh, that's unfortunate. I yeah, think it it's a miss um, missed opportunity. Yeah, and future missed opportunities. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Anyway, that's I think they're very important. We've always used them. We use them in training. Even you know, once you get in the simulator and you're running people through scenarios and you find out that either the timing didn't work, you used the wrong scenario, you put them in the wrong place, you put them on the wrong approach. It's very important for everybody to get back in the debriefing room and say, okay, here's what the students did. You know, here's what you guys did. Tell us what you, how do you think you did today? You know, well, I could have done better on that approach. I could have had the radios tuned a little sooner, et cetera, et cetera. And then for the instructor to say, Hey, I, I jammed you guys in too close, but since I did, Maybe the controller will do that someday, and you ought to just say, I'm going around and come back around to another approach. So there's a lot to be learned on these things, even when it's done right. Well, and I, I can say the class that I was in on Friday, we debriefed after every one of the, the – we ran three evolutions and debriefed after every one of them. That's awesome. I, I yeah. think it's a super valuable tool. And I just know my department did not utilize uh, it the right way. Jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Any rate, that's all I got. <laughs> I think I think for me a lot of this, um, it just requires action. You know what I mean? It requires work. Whether we take the position or you promote yes, up or whatever the case may be, you have not arrived. You don't get to now sit back on your laurels. 
Right. It takes work every single day. It takes work. It takes time and effort to do this stuff. And this stuff matters. So if you get yourself or if you promote someone who's inevitably lazy, you're creating problems. Yeah. So in, in each one, I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but each one of us are responsible for our own actions and we should take this stuff seriously. And I've, I've been guilty of it where you, you just don't feel like you just don't have the energy right. or you just don't feel like doing the extra or whatever. But really that's what this is about. This is what you should do. Right. Cause it's going to save somebody's it's gonna, life. It's going to matter. Right. It's going to matter. It matters. I, this is, I, I've said it to every recruit class that I had the opportunity to, to interact with as, right. um, as chief officers, our performance matters. Our performance matters in this job. It does. It matters if you're the rookie that got stepped off the, the, the rig for the first time. It matters for the driver. It matters for the officer. Your performance matters, period. It impacts other people, citizens, the crews, the department. Mm. Do yeah, you guys so. use the Swiss cheese model when you look at accidents? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, like your your bar graph was showing, um, you know, you had it broken down with the different things that have contributed to these accidents, and the the more of those that you can address, the more you know. We we typically called it that chain of dominoes. Dominoes, right? Yeah. And the more dominoes that you can pull out of that chain, the more you're going to stop that event from happening. Yeah. You know, it's not and just it had, one thing. You it's, remember from the the Swiss cheese model thing. It was like Swiss, the holes in the Swiss cheese are all the things that could go wrong. And it just happens that all the slices, whether it's from the time you left the station or the training you received or the actions you took or the whatever or the, the events, everything just happened to have lined up where right. the, the event, all the holes lined up. I like the domino piece better because I think you can visualize – you can you can put names to dominoes yeah. and say training, situational awareness, weather, uh, bad decision, whatever the case may be, and and you get the opportunity to explain to other firefighters and officers that just by removing one or two of those, oh, yeah. you stop the event. Absolutely, and the more you remove, the more. But it amazes me every time Bill and I have been involved in looking at an accident or an event. It blows me away how the dominoes are there every time. They just lined up. Some of the same ones. Same ones. Yeah. Yeah. They're culturally driven. Yeah. A lot of those dominoes are culturally driven. They're they're training driven or a lack of training. Um, Well, I think the the, the whole Swiss cheese or domino theory, either one, shows you the power of the individual. Because the individual, whether he's in training or whether he's on the line – or whether he's in management, or wherever he is in there, or the design of the equipment, the individual can actually stop that process from going forward. That happens to be a management Swiss cheese thing, but I know I'm. I'm you just now. I'm now. You got my wheels really turning. I think it's. Uh-oh. I remember the individuals this one, are very important. I think the individual pieces is, is important, and this one about the barriers of learning and change—that okay. reputa- uh, reputational disadvantage. Yeah, um, I took that a different way, uh, and I've been in—I've been involved in departments where it was education and training were discouraged. Yeah, plain and simple. That's what that speaks to me of, that reputational disadvantage. Because be. they will sit back and yeah. go, I can't, I'm not going to go take that class because they'll think I'm a, yeah. all I want to do is train, or I don't want to go to school because they'll think, oh, here we go. It's right. all about edu- it. it right, that, right. that cultural piece, um, I just, I think we, 
it matters. I'm telling you, what we do, what we say, what we act, the 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 culture, the the environment we create. You just you don't know how far the fingers go of that, both positive and negative. Yeah. Hopefully they go positive. Yeah. But sometimes they do go negative. Yeah, they do. But the, again, the power of the individual to stop things is amazing. Also on that page, the the editing out mistakes really just kind of it gets back to the writing our own narratives and mm-hmm. you know that inability to is that the one build where if we asked an individual and they say nope i wouldn't do a thing different that drives me nuts yeah because you realize what just happened what do yeah. you mean you wouldn't do anything different you'd have the same outcome what and did you we get, have, obviously can't are you okay with that yeah. right what did we have recently where somebody said that and i was so angry I'm afraid to say. <laughs> no, no. It. I mean, we heard it. We heard it with the sofa superstore, yeah. with right. the leadership saying, "If I had it to do all over again, I'd do the same thing." Even though nine firefighters died, and then something else came up, and somebody yeah, said those exact words again. Uh, you know what it uh, is? Yeah. Uh, well, then tell me afterwards. Well, afterwards. Okay. <laughs> somebody said that, and it just drives me nuts to hear it. I thought you were talking about the Federal Reserve. <laughs> Oh, wait. No, no. no. Do kidding. tell me about the Federal Reserve. No. <laughs> this is the end of that podcast. Now we'll start another one. <laughs> I think it's unique kind of, too, when you think about it for, like, pilots. You know, the pilots train for the normal operation and hoping that they can handle the emergency, and firefighters train for emergencies hoping they can bring it back to normal. Mm. Oh, you know, it's it, well, Hatch, it's interesting you brought that up because thank we you. actually I do. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, I, I, I was going to talk about that just a little bit. I don't want to drag it out here but we have certain events that you just don't do on the line all the time right like an engine failure on takeoff okay it doesn't happen during normal flights so that's a training issue and you have to decide as a organization what your um sequence of events is going to what your uh distance between those two events is going to be in terms of maintaining decent memory muscle muscle memory so uh, as opposed to a normal approach or taxiing out or this, that, or the other things that are normal things. So um, we have what's called AQP now, Advanced Qualification Training. Um, and it's, uh, it's more cued to the things that you don't do normally. Mm. Um, so in other words, rather than doing it once a year, we're going to do those things twice a year or maybe four times a year. And as a normal approach, you look at it one time, hell, you know, the guy can do it because he's doing it every day. So that's just. So how are those things identified? Those things that you're going to concentrate? By failures. Yeah. Yeah. So you put a guy. You Examining throw, the data. You throw a guy in the sim and you. Send you walked him. into that one, Bob. Sorry. I'm sorry <laughs> no, to tell you. I'm supporting that. No, no, no I don't you, think so. I don't think that was how that was meant. You throw a guy in the sim and you give him an engine failure on takeoff right off the bat. If he fails it, he's the sequence has been too long. All right. Right. And uh, whereas he's certainly not going to, you know, it's screw kind up. of the same thing. You throw a, an officer or a new AOIC or whatever the case, you throw them into a command procedure and you immediately give them a problem. Right. Not, yeah. not let them run through. Like how often do we say, oh yeah, you just hit a mayday 30 seconds into this event. Right. Uh, or a, a, well, still mayday, a writ opportunity or yeah. a rescue opportunity or whatever the case may be, or you wrecked on the way there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you guys for having me over. I really enjoyed it. Well, we really appreciate it. Man. It's been uh, a long time coming because we've wanted to talk about this stuff for a very long time. Yeah. 
I was going to talk about hydroplaning, but you guys put too much air in your tires to even worry about that event. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do. We'll save that one for another podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's nine times the square to your tire pressure, and if you're blowing them up to hundred or two hundred pounds, that's one hundred and thirty-five miles an hour, and I'm sure you guys don't go that fast. So, <laughs> no. We'll skip that topic. We'll get into that one later. <laughs> I, we're at the beach next week. I can't wait to, to peel that one back. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bring my calculator. Yeah. Okay. That was awesome. All yeah. right. Yeah. Definitely got us thinking about things differently. And that's what I hope, again, we do. We don't, you know, we don't solve problems. We don't nope. typically answer questions here. Did we want to give him the questions, by the way? Ooh. That might be fun. What's you that? You got like five more minutes? Yeah. God. We have, did you ever used to watch the, the show on TV with, inside the actor's studio where they would interview an oh, actor yeah. one-on-one? Yeah, yeah, and at yeah. the end, he would always give them the same questions. You know, what are you okay. going to ask uh, God when you get to heaven? What's your favorite curse word? It was a set, I can't remember the guy's name. It was a psychologist came up with I know these you mean. set questions. We should have probably used those. <laughs> we had, well, we, our- we created our own. Our own version of that. Yeah, we're gonna have to. Am I yeah. gonna fail? We, uh, no, we, you can't. There's no pass there's no or fail. fail. But, it but is we give a it to more, every guest. Okay. I think it's harder uh, on the fly, though. It is. Well, Bruno was not on the fly, and his his answer. That's one, of uh, one of the questions is about so a musical choice, and his his response to it was so perfect. But there's no way he came up with that on his on it's did he? He's a smart dude. Oh, he's a very, he's he a very creative and, and he, um, witty guy too. So. Nailed it. All right. It might take me a minute to find it. But you can ask him that question and I'll see if I can find okay, it. Okay, well so uh if you were going to a conference uh for whatever I don't know what you would be doing that but, okay. but a big conference and you've got a bunch of people from the industry uh there and as you walk out he's on the the, the a keynote yeah, yeah, you're the you're keynote, keynote speaker. speaker. Okay. And as you walk out to deliver your keynote address, they're going to play some music while you walk out. What are you going to tell them to play? What's your choice? Eagles, Hotel California. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. All right. That actually would be a good one. For your industry, what is your favorite word or phrase? Um, I would say professionalism. All right. What's your least favorite? Should I say data? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. If you want hatch on your side, you can. Yeah. Um, my least favorite. Um, wow, that's a that's a tough one. Uh, what did you most not like to hear while you were flying uh, that Chinook in Vietnam? Oh shit! <laughs> and so who there was it is. The, who was the oh shit coming from? Usually, it didn't matter, did it? Usually the crew chief or the driver. <laughs> I, I was going to say it's probably coming from him. Oh shit! Oh shit! See stuff that I couldn't see. Uh, I don't know. I kind of get excited when I hear "oh shit" a little bit. So it's kind of like you flew helicopters and planes, right? Uh, I flew helicopters only over in Vietnam. Right, right. But in your career, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which do you prefer? I would say airplanes. I mean, Why? I, I, just because they're they're beautiful. I mean, I did a lot of work with the Gulfstream factory, and I was going to ask, what was your favorite plane to fly? The Gulfstream five fifty. Oh, I bet. I mean, it's just a slick airplane. Who owns a five fifty? Who are, like, uh, important people, my guess. Well, Coke owns, Sarah. I flew for Coke for quite a while. They own them. And the guy that owns the uh, the Hawks, I flew for him. He, he has a 550. And uh, Arthur, you flew for Arthur for a little bit, Yeah, Arthur right? Blank had a G4. And G4 is a good machine, but it's like a it's like a brick. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. just a solid. I just always appreciated heavy his duty piece tickets, of he, tickets he shared with us. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, What motivates you? I think 
teaching other people. What's your favorite book? My favorite book. Um, He's flipping through a huge Rolodex. Yeah. Just so you know. (laughs) I'm I'm aware. There's probably one that stands out, though. I guess the autobiography, and I'm not even sure who wrote it, of Ben Franklin, because I think he's one of the most interesting guys that we ever had in the country. I agree. He is very interesting. Uh, What profession would you like to have done that you didn't? Sounds like you've done a lot. So, well, um, I think I would have liked to be a surgeon because I, you know, I'm kind of I have good high eye hand coordination, and um, I guess I enjoy the challenge. So, what's the lasting mark you want to put on the universe? Um, being good to my family. Awesome, which you are. And if you could go back to your 18-year-old self and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Holy shit. There we go. <laughs> That's different than oh shit. <laughs> Move to Canada. I ain't got to go to Vietnam. I guess I would have been more serious about school, but it worked out okay for me, but um, I was not I was never good at school. Because? I just wasn't interested in it. You were probably smarter than most everybody that was trying to teach it to I you, first that, of all. I doubt that, but I just I never did uh, take to school. That's it. Okay. Right. So your 18-year-old self, you could go back and tell your 18-year-old self, that's what you'd tell him? I think so. I mean, I, I would have progressed a lot faster than I did. You could see my <laughs> career path was pretty crooked. I don't know. <laughs> it looks like you want to say erroneous to that. Erroneous. No, no, no. I just, I, I, Bob has dropped so much wisdom on us, me personally, our family <clears> for <throat> so many years. It's just, yeah. So that surprises you? Yeah, because I mean, yeah, it's hard that you can't. Well, yeah, school don't make even, you smart. Yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It sure doesn't. Well, All right, it don't make invitation. you dumb. Oh man, yeah. that's our and pleasure. Thanks for coming. Yes, really, we really, really appreciate it. Okay. And we traditionally always end these episodes where uh, we all agree that it's the end by saying, "Well, well, well, well." There we go. It's the end of it. <laughs> Combustible is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to Combustible to make sure you don't miss out on an episode. Follow us on Facebook so we know how many of you listeners there are out there. And you can check us out online at combustiblethepodcast.com. As always, we would like to thank the Golden Dogs and True North Records for letting us use their song Saints at the Gates for our theme music. You can find the Golden Dogs music on any streaming platform. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you later. (laughs) 